When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It is winning season at my bookie. Use promo code Gators on a deposit of $50 or more, and you can receive up to $200 in cash instantly to your my bookie account. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. And Gators Breakdown is proud to partner with AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash Gators for more. And Gators Breakdown is proud to partner with America's number one meal kit, HelloFresh. Go to hellofresh.com slash 50Gators and use code 50Gators for 50% off plus 15% off the next two months. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I am your host, David Waters. You can find me social media at GatorDave underscore SEC at Gators Breakdown out there. And of course, right here on the Monday night, still excited couple days after Florida defeats Tennessee and on this Monday night I am joined by co-host Will Miles find him at readandreaction.com on YouTube at Read Reaction and at Will Miles SEC where we were just coming on or talking before we came on here about uh, hey it just feels good feels good to get that win uh, still still a lot of smiling faces and hey look we, we don't really have to move on we got Charlotte this week and if everything goes like it really should you know I think we can enjoy like hey we had to stew on that Utah loss for like you know two weeks because of <laughs> having to play McNeese and I think we can uh, I, th- I think we can uh, have some smiling faces uh, after a big rivalry wins on Saturday night yeah, man. I mean, that was always one of the fears here, right? Is that if this game was a loss, then we're going to have to stew on it for two weeks. And I think it's only fair that since it's a win, you get to you get to revel in it for two weeks. Obviously, the team can't really do that. They got to yeah. go out and and actually, uh, you know, put the, put the pads on, strap it up, and go win that game against Charlotte. But you know, look, this is a recovery week. Any sort of injuries, stuff like that. Hopefully, Max Brown and and Jack Miller and some of the other guys get some real time. A lot of the freshmen get out there in this game against Charlotte, and we get to see what those guys can do. But I mean, you know. It's not like they're being shy about getting freshmen in there right now. I mean, we got to keep Jackson on the on the on the bomb there that sort of kept Tennessee in it there in the fourth quarter. But I mean, you know, look, I think you and I both thought Tennessee was going to win that game, and then Florida came out and punched him in the mouth. And obviously, you were there, and the and the swamp was going nuts. And uh, you know, it was an unbelievable win for Florida for Billy Napier. Nobody can say he's over against the rivals. Obviously, if he if he finishes up the season zero and three against the remaining ones, people will still be squawking about it. But you know, it quiets it down certainly. And and all the things that we saw that were poor against Utah mm, mm. were really good against Tennessee. And I think maybe this teaches me a lesson from the standpoint of all the procedural things, all the lining, th- lining up correctly, all the things that got screwed up in Utah were things that Tennessee screwed up in the swamp. And so maybe the lesson for me is not to walk off the cliff quite so quickly when uh, when when there's a game like that. Because, I mean, it was just miserable watching that game against Utah. But as miserable as that was, 
was how much fun it was watching this one, yeah. right? especially in that first half. So kudos to Napier. Kudos to Austin Armstrong. I thought he did a really nice okay. job setting up the defense in this one. Um, there are still some holes there, but I think he papered over pretty well in this one. The team was clearly prepared. They knew what Tennessee and Joe Milton were trying to do. And there were times where they screwed some things up, but there were also times where they were right there. The third down where they had the double slants is one that jumps to mind where uh, – I think it was Jordan Castell came right down and took it away before Milton even had an opportunity to, to look at the inside guy on the slant. Has to go on the fresh, and that is a true freshman with that recognition yeah. right there. Well, well, there's a reason. Wasn't he like all SEC of the week, all, all SEC hey, freshman of the week or something like part that? Part of so. it, but yeah, all <laughs> SEC's fresh, freshman of the week this week. Uh, well, let's see. SEC freshman of the week. Let me get it straight right there. But uh, absolutely. I mean, it's. Uh, I'll, we'll get into more of him later. But yeah, that was – Going to that particular play you're talking about, it was uh, just for a true freshman to be in that position and and have the recognition and know what to do on a big, big play. And that speaks to just how far uh, a true freshman has come, how far this defense has come, and as you said, just how far this team has come in two weeks now. Um, but, yeah, well, I, that is something with college football. I mean, we, we saw it with our Gators two weeks ago in Utah. We saw it with Tennessee. You know, what all yeah, – Teams don't get to practice as much as they used to back in the day with, with two-a-days and all the limitations coaching staffs have now and stuff. I mean, I'd like to go back and track it somehow, some way, or maybe somebody else has or whatever. Like, does home field advantage, especially early in the season, mean more now? I mean, uh, with transfer portal and your roster changing so much, you don't have these years of experience. And I think if you have an offensive line that you got to – retool or you're playing with backups like Florida was at Utah and Tennessee was missing their center and they had some other guys uh, up front too that were that were missing I believe no or it's like I I do wonder now with these crazy crowds that you get especially in the swamp with 90,000 people going crazy is uh maybe these early season road tests until you get some games underneath you they might they might be something to uh you know really hold you back at the beginning of the season I mean, maybe a little bit. I think the the interesting thing is just the extremes, right? I mean, Florida rushes for 13 yards against Utah and 183 against Tennessee. And in the first half especially, was just blowing the volunteers off the ball mm-hmm. up front, right? I mean, the, the play that, uh, that ETN hit, the huge touchdown run sort of answer Tennessee's opening drive. Um, you know, there's two pulling guard – or there's a pulling guard and a pulling tackle there, and both of them were eaten on linebackers because there weren't any defensive linemen for them to run into. It was, and, it was, uh, it was a guacking at center pulling. Oh, was it? It was, it was a yeah. and, and then, George. And then, and then George pulled too. Yeah. George is the one, like that's the one I noted in, in my postgame wrap up where ETN really does a nice job of finding his pulling guard tackle center, whoever it is. And he sort of puts his hand on his back as he's going through the hole and then decides left or right based on what he sees. And the minute he does, he's off. Right, like that acceleration to top speed is really quick. He almost broke one on the opening drive too. That, that plotting thirteen <laughs> or fourteen play drive was almost a seven play drive because he almost took one of the house there. And honestly, like out of all the things that I think we learned in this one, like you know, you and I talked in our and I think it was our over under episode where I was like, I think ETN special. I think we saw it again, right? And that's not a knock at Montreal Johnson. It's right. not. And Montreal Johnson is an important part of this offense, and he needs to be a big part of the offense. But ETN is special. He had an opportunity for two or three house calls in this one. He only got one of them. But even then, you're talking 18, 22, 26 yards on those big chunk plays. And Florida only had two explosive plays in the entire game. They were both ETNs. One was on the drive where they ran out the clock, and then one was the touchdown run that got him back into the game. Um, that dude's for real, and uh, you know I'm perfectly happy to see him with 21, 22 carries a game. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, Will, so i got to ask you, I've, uh, I've got to figure out how I want to do it as well. How do you like your crow? Do, you, do we want it marinated for a little while? Do we want to deep fry it? Um, I'll, I'll gladly, I'll gladly, uh, you know, take that. But uh, I got to figure out how I want to, how I want to eat it. I got to eat the crow. Well, I mean, so it's so funny. I think I so I picked Florida to go eight and four for the year, and I thought they were going to beat Utah and lose to Tennessee. Yeah, and yeah. then they went out and they looked so awful against Utah <laughs> that it was like, oh, I've revised everything. So again, I think that's sort of where the crow is being served is is you don't overreact, and I should know that. I should know better, and I didn't. And you know, but that one, that first one was so miserable. <laughs> so well, my point was for 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 me, it wasn't even so much how Florida played versus Utah. That played into it. It was just a matchup. How the 
bad that offensive line looked versus how good Tennessee's defensive line looked last year and so far this year. I just thought that one matchup, like I had, a, I had it a seven point game. I just thought that one matchup would be the difference. But as you said, it was Florida in the trenches on, on, on both sides, especially in the first half that really, really just did this game in. Well, I'll tell you, the thing that I really took away from this one is I learned something about Austin Armstrong that I think is really important because Armstrong is a guy who goes after it, or at least historically when he was at Southern Mississippi, just was always bringing guys from all over the place, doing crazy stuff up front to get pressure. And that left him exposed on the backside. And on the first drive, when Milton hits that one down the sideline, they had single high safety to, uh, you know, the defensive backs were out there, get picked really. It was an OPI, Mm -hmm. but you know, whatever they didn't call it. So it doesn't matter. Hit that pass. And then one-on-one on on Jason Marshall on the outside going single high safety again, no help for, from the safety. And they burned him two times. And from then on, Almost everything was two deep safeties. And he basically said to his guys up front, it was two deep safeties, either one or two linebackers in the box. There were times they only had five guys in the box. And Armstrong made an adjustment. He said, Mm -hmm. I've seen this be successful in the Virginia game and even the Austin P game. This sort of defense keeps Milton under wraps. He can't go deep. They're going to run the ball. Like you think about when they came out in the third quarter and Tennessee took like six minutes off the clock with their opening drive. A lot of the reason they took six minutes off the clock for that opening drive is because Florida was saying, we dare you to run the ball. Like, run the ball six yards a pop the whole way down the field. We'll take, we'll hold you to a field goal, and we'll take the six or seven minutes off the clock making you do that, because especially with the new clock rules, there you go. Um, yep. it, it completely changes the complexion when you're up 26 to seven. And um, so Armstrong made some adjustments, I thought, this game that I was dubious he would make. Like, I just thought his nature, he's been aggressive everywhere he's at. He talks about being aggressive. He's got an aggressive personality. And he said, you know what? We're going to win with our front four or lose with our front four. And then the front four got the job done, right? I mean, you had Banks on the on the interception where he forces Milton up in the pocket into Desmond Watson. You had Tyreek Sapp who gets a sack. But if he hadn't gotten the sack, Human Milan was there. <laughs> Milton really uncomfortable just with the front four. The linebackers were able to drop into coverage, which was huge because all those little swing passes that go out to the outside to like Squirrel White that end up being seven, eight-yard pickups – were two or three yard pickups in this one. Then you'd get the false start because Tennessee looked like Florida against Utah. And all of a sudden it's third and 12, right? And third and 12 is hard for anybody to convert. And, you know, in the first half specifically, Florida converted every third down, but Tennessee did not. Tennessee really struggled on third down in the first half. They were much better on third down in the second half, which is why this game got a little bit tighter. But, um, you know, look, I think Armstrong made the adjustments. He did not stick with his scheme. He decided to scheme specifically to the opponent. And I think that really bodes well for him and for Florida moving forward. Yeah, really good stuff there to hold that Tennessee offense. No matter, no Hendon Hooker, whatever. Yeah, we knew it wasn't going to be as good, but they were uh, running the ball like crazy coming into this game for this run defense, which, hey, has been a huge, huge question uh, the last couple of years. And uh, that adjustment in the offseason, adjustment in the game, uh, makes a huge difference for the Gators to get a victory 29-16 to over Tennessee. So, everybody, all right, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. A little bit later, uh, we're getting into this. Will and I are excited about uh, what, what happened Saturday night. Uh, so we're um, a little bit late and just uh, getting to those reminders. Like, subscribe right here on YouTube if you haven't done so yet. Everybody, hey, GatorsBreakdown.com. The latest scheming with Seth is up there where he takes a look at both sides of the ball and the wrinkles Florida put in to get that run game going. Uh, and to hold that Tennessee offense in check. Seth takes a look at both sides of the ball this time. Uh, And then, of course, all the updates from Billy Napier's press conference today as well is up there at GatorsBreakdown.com. And, of course, Gators Breakdown Plus as well. Everybody get those ad-free episodes, but also a giveaway this week. I got two tickets to the Charlotte game to give away. Uh, So join by Wednesday and current members and new members of Gators Breakdown Plus will be eligible. I'll do the giveaway five – the uh, ends at five o'clock on Wednesday. I'll do the drawing Wednesday night for two tickets to the Charlotte game, courtesy of Gators Breakdown Plus. Link is in the description to join. Hey, go, hey, go have a fun time in the swamp Saturday night. Hopefully, uh, to the winner of that. So, all right, Will. So something uh, I think a lot of our minds shifted to after Florida got the big win on Saturday was, all right, this is a big win. It's a big win over a rival, over a rival, and. Let's not see what happened last year uh, happened when Florida would get a big win. You get the big season opening win versus Utah only to lose to Kentucky 
the next week and get the win over Texas A&M and South Carolina only to lose to Vanderbilt and FSU at the end of the year. And it was something we had talked about, you know, all last season in the off season as well is, you know, when Florida hopefully would get a big win, uh, whether that be Utah to open up this season or maybe Tennessee to early in the season as well to hopefully build some momentum for this Gators team. And hey, you know what? Billy Napier uh, also uh, <laughs> had a lot to say about that. Uh, it was on his mind as well. So, well, it, it is something that uh, I wasn't sure he was going to bring up or not uh, about the momentum. I'm sure he, uh, I mean, you'll listen to him right here. Uh, Certainly aware of what happened last year uh, with that, but I was also watching that uh, journey that they posted highlights of uh, of the big win, that documentary style NFL film style highlights that Florida puts out every Monday uh, after a game, and he's in the locker room talking to the team right after they beat Tennessee, and he's talking about the momentum and how the team last year could not do those things. Well, here he was today talking to the media about that as well. That's what the University of Florida football can be. Uh, we need to do that more consistently, and certainly as a as a staff and as a team, we can do our part. So proud of the team. Ultimately, I think that was a built little bit of a buildup of a two week response. Um, proud of the response, in particular from the players, and certainly the staff provided great leadership. And now you're presented with a new set of problems, right? So I think ultimately uh, just met with a leadership group at eleven. I think this is a challenge of principle-centered leadership. Um, and I think ultimately, you know, I think it's it's important that you don't react, you know, and that you actually have something that you can stand on. I was proud of the players and the approach they took since the Utah game. Now we can use those same things uh, to apply to success, right? So, you know, reality is, um, that you don't accomplish anything significant by staying in your comfort zone. Um, I think we were uncomfortable for two weeks. We were frustrated. We were angry. We were embarrassed. That allowed us to have an edge and certainly affected the way we prepared for Tennessee and, and helped us play the way we played. So I think it's important that we keep that, right? We have discipline, right? And discipline ultimately uh, is making yourself do things that you don't want to do, right? So our consistency is going to be key, okay? So set of issues that come with success. Last year's team couldn't handle it. Um, momentum, uh, we failed to capitalize several times throughout the season. So I think this group has the right approach, um, and I'm excited about, you know, the work that we're going to do this week. Uh, well, I think he's right there. You know, we get the loss to Utah. It's probably a little easier to get focused <laughs> and want to play ticked off to the you know for the for the rest of the world that we're out there. And as he also said, there, there was the edge and a new challenge for now for for, for the skaters team is I don't lose that edge. Uh, this is a new challenge now as everybody's patting you on the back and you get all the text messages of congrats. And I think Napier said he had 260 messages on his phone or something like that after the game. Uh, so, but look, everyone's talking about, you know, Florida. Now it's up to the staff, up to the leaders uh, of this team to get through again. And look, I came out of that Utah game wondering where the leadership was and not necessarily, you know, where it was as in does Florida have any. It's just that they do it. it we need to see it. Where are the leaders? Who who is going to step up for Florida? And obviously, they've had some people step up. Uh, and you know, you don't get a win over Tennessee Saturday night if if nobody steps up in that regard. So, um, you know, handling momentum, of course, was a big issue last year and the challenge this team faces. And right now, will Charlotte's coming up? Look, it's not about the opponent. You know, Florida has to prove they can handle success. Uh, and even against an overmatched opponent this week, we'll know what that looks like. Uh, go prove you can put another great performance together and go build some momentum with Kentucky coming up. Go build some confidence with Kentucky coming up. Uh, and just, you know, watching that highlight video, it was just apparent to me. I, I was kind of, uh, I was kind of surprised Napier went all, all already went to the point. Probably many of the fan base went of, all right, this is a big win. Let's build on it this time. Yeah, I mean, so I think there's a couple of things there. One is that 
Um, there were some things in this game that I think are repl- are repeatable. There are some things that probably are not, right? They're not going to be able to be able to go seven of eight on third down in the first half every single game, which means you're going to have to be a little bit more explosive on, on offense. So there are things that need to be developed there. I think, you know, we've said all offseason long that the front seven and especially the front four needed to dominate, and they did dominate in that game. Can you take that next step forward and do that consistently over an entire game against an overmatched opponent? There are still things to do and still things to improve on, just even though you won this game and won this game pretty convincingly. And, you know, look, Tennessee is a good team. I don't think they're a great team. I think I sort of thought they'd be in the top 25, but not the top 15 when the season ended. And, you know, so that's good. You need wins over teams like that. But there are some tougher teams on the schedule coming up. And yeah, it's going to be how do, how do you deal with it, right? They're probably going to be three and one coming off the Charlotte game. Now, look, Charlotte gave uh, Maryland a scare a couple of weeks ago. And so, you know, I think it was pretty close heading into this either into halftime or, or even into even past halftime. But so this isn't exactly this isn't the same thing as McNeese State. Charlotte's a little bit better team. Still should be an easy win for Florida. But you know, is it going to be one of those forty-one to twenty-one games where you know it's close until the third quarter, or is it going to be one of those games where it's thirty-five to nothing after the first <laughs> after you know five mm-hmm. minutes into the second quarter, and all of a sudden you can bring in all the backups and it's a complete laugher and everybody gets healthy? Because you know, there's a few things here. I mean, you got Trey Wilson going down with the injury in this one. Um, you know, it doesn't set like I I think we all feared it was going to be a collarbone break. And he was going to be out for a significant amount of time. Doesn't sound like that's the case, but certainly you don't want to have to rely on Wilson this week if you can give him a full week to recover. And then, you know, I I think obviously kicker, the kicking game and the punting game Mm -hmm. are places where this team really needs to focus, special teams specifically. And, uh, you know, we'll see if they're able to do that. Yeah, it was... um... Uh, Billy Napier did say in the press conference today as well that that competition uh, pretty much going to be open now at, at, at kicker. What putting it all on the like he did said the protection in front of him wasn't where it needed to be either. But I think we've seen enough now in you know in three games uh, that you know there is some there there needs to be a competition at kicker there, and we'll see what Trace Max able to do. But it does sound like an open competition this week and the game itself maybe uh, this week coming up. Uh, versus Charlotte there. But, yeah, uh, Will, and, and something else I wanted to go back to, you're saying, you know, things that it weren't perfect, but things I, I, I saw that I like bouncing back from Utah to what we saw in against Tennessee was, you know, getting in the red zone, of course, scoring in the red zone. That was a big, big sore spot in the Utah game and something Florida took advantage of, especially in the second quarter uh, of the Tennessee game. And, you know, I, Going and looking at quarterback and looking at Graham Mertz, and you know the 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 stats aren't going to besides the completion percentage aren't going to jump out and wow anybody right there. But I, you know, with a running game, I think that style of play is going to be there. Now, will Florida have that run game each and every week? Now, that's something that remains to be seen, and, and and we'll see where where it goes from there. But if it is or anywhere close to that, you know, I think the way Graham Mertz is playing uh, can you know, win Florida a lot of ball games. But it was the way in, in, in the red zone that I, I liked it because I thought if Florida was going to you know, be successful in the red zone again, it was going to have to be because the run game was there. But it was actually Graham Mertz completing passes to Ricky Pearsall getting close to the goal line. Jonathan Odom, thank God he didn't fumble back to Tennessee right there on the goal line. Uh, and then the screen pass to Montreal Johnson where he just had to stay in there at the latest time he possibly could find Johnson on the screen and he takes it to the end zone. So, you know, it was uh, – I was surprised, you know, while the – downfield shots are still not there and we're really waiting to see those if, if there can be a larger part of this offense when needed uh but i think to make this offense click a lot better than it did versus utah the passing game needs to click in the red zone and that's what we saw uh, against tennessee there will another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to see that develop as, as things go. Obviously, you know, we, we talked about after the Utah game that operational excellence was the value proposition that Billy Napier was was bringing to Florida and that we all expected him to bring to Florida. That's what was disappointing about that Utah game. I think we saw that operational excellence here against Tennessee, which was awesome to see. Now we need to see some expansion on that, right? So Graham Burns yeah. right now, 4% of his completions are 20-plus yards past the line of scrimmage. At some point, they're going to have to take some deep shots to loosen some people 
people up, right? 78% of his completions are within 10, 10 air yards of the line of scrimmage and 40% of his completions are behind the line of scrimmage. That works for a little bit. That brings the defense up. You can get through, you can get done with that or you can get away with that for a couple of games. But we even saw it in the Utah game. Once Florida got down, Utah was really crowding the line of scrimmage and Florida didn't do anything to really back them up. Now, part of that was because they were making all sorts of mistakes in terms of lining up and false starts and things like that. But now that that stuff seems to have been solved, okay, now how do we expand the offense? How do we get some guys involved? You know, we've talked about, there was a lot of discussion about Aiden Mizell being able to be a real deep threat. Um, you know, somebody's going to have to be that deep threat. Pearsall last year was a pretty decent deep threat on some of those slants coming across the middle for AR. Those things are going to be there. Mertz is going to have to start taking those sorts of things because he's not going to complete 75% of his passes all year long. His highest completion percentage all year, or in any year at Wisconsin, was 61%. Even if he regresses back to 65%, that's going to be a significant drop-off in his overall yards per completion, given how little, or yards per attempt, given how little he's actually going downfield. And then you start running into a quarterback who's really inefficient. Um, Again, I think he did an awesome job converting third downs. I struggle to think that you're going to rely on that constantly. Florida's offense is going to have to get more explosive. Some of that is going to be the running game. Some of that's going to be making sure ETN gets 20 carries. Um, some of that is going to be playing, getting away from the zone blocking scheme, I think, specifically when ETN's in the game and giving him some opportunities with those pulling guards or pulling tackles. But a big part of it is going to be Graham Mertz going downfield a little bit more. That doesn't mean that he should have more in the in the Tennessee game, but I think we're going to see that in, Char- in the Charlotte game and we're going to see that moving forward. Now, the only question with that is, is can he keep him healthy that way, right? I mean, it's not like he was going downfield a ton in the Tennessee game, and he comes out of that game with, you know, what, a right. broken finger and a la- a broken finger on his non-throwing hand and <laughs> a think, lacerated and finger that, on his throwing and hand? I think that, and I think that might be part of it, too, is just against Utah, you know, was maybe trying to take some deep shots, sacked five times. This game didn't get sacked five times, but like you, as you said, still getting hit when he's dropping back. So maybe – playing into the, the, some of the decision-making and, and settling for some of the short passes and the staff, Billy Napier, calling shorter passes just to get the ball out of his hands. He, he threw a first down pass to Caleb Douglas in the second half that looked like – it almost looked like a little kid who has to use both hands to throw the ball. Like, it wasn't quite like that, but it was not his normal throwing motion to get the ball out. And right after that was when he went to the sideline. He saw all the blood all over the, all over the towel and stuff like that. It definitely affected his ability to throw the ball in the second half. I think Napier sort of hinted in his in his press conference or said outright in his press conference that he probably got a little bit too conservative there. But I think yeah. part of the reason he got conservative there is I'm not sure he was real confident the ball was going to go where Graham yeah. Mertz wanted it to go when he when he reared back and threw one. So I think he can sort of right off the second half in terms of going downfield. At the same time, there's no doubt. I mean, in, if you're going to look at the things they need to work on, I feel like the things they're going to work on against Charlotte are going to be their blitz packages because they haven't really broken that out that much. And then the other thing I think they're going to work on is going downfield regardless of whether it's Mertz whether it's whether it's Max Brown whether it's Jack Miller whoever it is I think they're they're really gonna be working on opening things up if nothing else to put that on tape for the opponents who are coming up yeah yeah like you said Aiden Mizell get maybe get Marcus Burke back involved too we haven't seen much of him since uh uh, the Utah game, you know, injuries, of course, coming into play a little bit at receiver, too. But, uh, uh, yeah, you know, if you start looking at a couple of players, I think you want to start seeing that part of the offense there. Uh, you'd probably start looking with those two guys at the receiver spot. So, all right, plenty more to get into as kind of keeping uh, momentum up for the Gators heading into Charlotte and Kentucky uh, in a couple of weeks. But, hey, I mean, we still got it going. We still got it going right here with my bookie. Well, one guy who doesn't still have it going anymore, Aaron Rodgers, his Season's officially over, but yours has just begun at MyBookie. NFL, college ball, brand new cash-out system gives you options to bet and win all season long. First two legs of your parlay hit would then cash out early. Place another bet. or Let it ride for a chance at a bigger payday at MyBookie. So join us for an entire season filled with daily odds boost, same game parlays, huge prize prize pool contest, and right now, MyBookie has a no-strings-attached cash bonus that lets you deposit and withdraw quick. Use promo code GATORS on your first deposit of $50 or more, and you can receive up to $200 in cash instantly credited to your MyBookie account. That's GATORS to claim your own cash bonus right now. You can bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. Gators Breakdown is proud to partner with AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. 
With 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food source ingredients, AG1 is formulated to support whole body health, raising the standard for quality in the supplement category. I mean, everything AG1 does right here replaces your multivitamin, your probiotic, and more in just one simple daily scoop and that drinkable habit. It, hey, look, it tastes, it, it, it tastes pretty good. I was you know, kind of questioning it with the, the green look there, but it actually tastes, it tastes pretty good there, AG1. So start my day with it right now and pairing it with exercise and diet and ready to tackle these busy, busy days of football season with my focus at peak performance. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash gators. That's drinkag1.com slash gators to check it out. And Gators Breakdown is also proud to partner with America's number one meal kit, HelloFresh. Hello Fresh. I received them not long ago. Was a hit with the family and look, working a full time job is I need all the time. I, all the time I can get. Getting all this time back is really important right now. So I know you guys are busy as well out there and football season starting. And hey, just enjoy enjoy football a little bit. Don't spend so much time going to the grocery store and shopping for all your products right there. Hello Fresh wants you to have it all. Free time, easy and fresh, tasty food. That's why they take care of the meal planning and deliver the ingredients right to your door, right there in that chilled cool box there with all the ingredients right there right at your door so don't call for delivery think hello fresh their fast and fresh recipes are ready in just 15 minutes or less go to hellofresh.com slash 50 gators and use code 50 gators for 50 percent off plus 15 percent off the next two months go to hellofresh.com slash 50 gators use code 50 gators for 50 percent off plus 15 percent off the next two months Get your time back with HelloFresh, America's number one milk kit. Well, we've kind of teased it just a little bit, but as we're talking about momentum here, one reason momentum can continue to grow, man, I, I didn't see it. I didn't, I didn't see it playing out like this, Will, but these true freshmen, these true freshmen are showing out. And as you, you mentioned the name earlier there with Eugene Wilson and Trey Wilson, Man, unfortunate. Uh, you could tell he was going to be a huge, huge part of this game plan. Six touches on the opening possession uh, or early in the game there for, for Wilson. And Billy Napier did give us an update today. Uh, did say Saturday night it didn't look as bad as originally we thought and did confirm it again today on this Monday. Uh, Billy Napier did say, yeah, he's banged up, not long-term. Ultimately, the X-ray is normal. I think that it would take him a little bit of time to return. Now, it's going to be a pain tolerance deal. It was going to be determined. Could be this week. Could be next week. We'll give you an update on Wednesday where we're officially at. Good thing here, big picture. I think we're going to get him back at some point. So, as I said, you, you got Tennessee coming into town, and obviously right away the true freshman is involved. We've kind of we, we, we've seen the teases uh, the, the first couple of games of the season. We've seen the what we think the potential is there with Wilson, but – Seeing as much as he was involved in the first drive against Tennessee, it lets you know there's a lot of trust there about what he can do, what he brings to the table to help expand this offense and really also help help the run game. I mean, the run game was helped by how Florida was getting him involved early in some of those you know sweet motion plays. Uh, eager to get him back and eager to see just how much more expansive this offense offense can get because of the true freshman. Yeah, well, I mean, Seth Varnador last week on Gators Breakdown, he was in and in, in my stead, and he talked about them using those those end arounds or the little wide receiver screen passes where they come and motion across to keep the defense honest. And you could see it work both ways, right? It, it worked from the standpoint of that kept things honest for then uh, Montrell Johnson and ETN to go up the middle. But the other thing that that did then was once they established Johnson and ETN up the middle, then you had the play action and the throw out to Odom out on the outside where you were gaining 12 or 13 yards as well. So everything really works in tandem, right? Like you're the goal for this offense, one of the reasons why they have that jet motion or the orbit motion is to keep every defender honest and spread the field out as wide as they can. It's not like a spread offense, but the idea is, is that you've got somebody having to guard every area of the field and having a guy like Trey Wilson out there allows you to do that because the defenses know that guy's fast. The defenses know that's a place where Florida wants to get the ball. And they also know that he's somebody that Florida thinks 
highly of and can probably take the ball to the house if they give him an opportunity to and give him enough of a running head start. Now, he hasn't quite been able to do that yet. Most of his plays have been like for 9, 10, 11 yards on those end arounds. But still, an 11-yard gain, especially on first down, move the chains real quick make things easy for your quarterback and then opening things up for the running back, which is really where you want the game to go anyway, or the ball to go anyway, I think is a huge deal. So obviously he goes out. I don't think it's a coincidence that he goes out and then all of a sudden um, everything starts to focus in on ETN. They did run Pearsall on the jet sweep a couple mm-hmm. of times. And so, you know, that's going to be a staple of the offense. They understand that they're helping out their offensive line when they run that and a ton of the action that they run from that comes from that right again you think about the play action of the throwback to Odom but it's the same thing when they run that flood route over where they've got the three levels of throws it's the same action right you got the guy coming over on the jet sweep you fake it to him you fake it to the running back you run out on the bootleg and all of a sudden now you've got three different levels to throw to so everything that Billy Napier wants to do from his base offense runs from having that be a threat and one of the things last year that we, you really saw is that is that Xavier Henderson was not really a threat in that role. And Mm -hmm. so having Eugene Wilson or Trey Wilson in that role now means there's a threat there. That threat is going to hold the linebackers. It's going to hold the safeties. And all of a sudden now ETN gets into that gap in the middle and the safeties are a little bit wider and they come in a little bit faster. He's able to cut back and beat them and and hit some big plays. So I think what you're going to see is that as Trey Wilson's in there, there's going to be some larger openings for ETN and Montreal Johnson. And you're going to see more big plays, which is exactly exactly what this offense needs. So obviously having Wilson there is a big deal. Yeah. I mean, as Seth pointed out, you know, before the season, uh, on GatorsBreakdown.com saying, Hey, since Florida doesn't have a running quarterback like Anthony Richardson, like Billy Napier had at Louisiana with Levi Lewis, that the backside doesn't have to be accounted for so much anymore. Well, now you start incorporating these. And as you said, this defense, these defenses now have to guard East West a little bit more and have to think a little bit more uh, and really good adjustment so far early in the season there by Billy Napier to find that wrinkle to go ahead and put in the offense and clearly, clearly uh, was paying off in the first uh, drive versus uh, Tennessee. So, Hey, let's keep it going right here and talked about it earlier. We're going to keep on with these freshmen talking about momentum and Billy Napier was asked today about Jordan Castell in the game that he had uh, as well. So what do you think about Jordan Castell and the way he played? I don't know if you saw on film, but what he did with Jakeem Jackson told him to keep his head up. Here's Billy Napier's thoughts on that. Jordan is, you know, you evaluate players, you recruit players, you get to know them, them their uh, families. And look, Jordan was a 6'2", 200-pound kid that was playing corner that had, you know, really good tape. Um, there were questions about whether he was tough, could tackle. We felt like we had enough evidence there. Um, love his family. His mom's an incredible um, lady. Uh, and then obviously his dad's story is really unique there. So this kid's been through some things. He's got a little bit, he's got some maturity. Um, he's had to grow up. Uh, I think when I really knew, I thought he could be special is when I went to his school. And then you see him in that environment. Uh, you see him interact with teachers and administrators. He was a leader, um, you know, just a guy that had a lot of presence about him. So showed up in January and has been about his business. Um, and ultimately he's playing well as a rookie for us. So great play on the deep ball. You know, most kids panic. You know, they get a P.I. or um, So that was impressive, you know. And look, the guy's – play him partly because he's mature enough to handle it. He can process, he can communicate, and he's got physical ability. But uh, I think he is a future leader, and certainly amongst his classmates, he's well thought of. And obviously, Jakeem's out there playing as a rookie. That's his boy, right? So he's doing his best to encourage him. So those are good things. Those are, those are healthy things. Well, we got Castell making plays at the line of scrimmage. They move him up in the box. He's right there as another linebacker at times, it seems like. He's making tackles right at the line of scrimmage, behind the line of scrimmage. He's playing physical. Billy Napier mentioned it right there. And he just said, playing corner in high school, I mean, he's breaking passes up in the middle of the field, that play that you talked about earlier. Uh, he's making plays down the field that Billy Napier just mentioned, being able to you know, play that play play that ball in the air, you know, in big time atmosphere, 
only your third game of your of your college career, and you're making a big play like that down the field in a big game as well. Uh, as well, so it's unreal that he stepped in, has already asserted himself as of you know one of the best players, if not the best player on the defense already. Certainly back there in the secondary uh, already as a true freshman, and the way he you know led Florida in tackles this past week, uh, I mean it's really really going a long way for for the true freshman. Now I'm sure there'll be some more growing pains coming up as as a true freshman, but he's making plays. He's showing leadership. I mean, that's what I saw it pointed out on Twitter uh, yesterday, and then Billy Napier mentioned it and was asked about it today that you know, he's showing leadership. He, he's picking up his teammate who just got beat by a touchdown uh, there. He, you know, he's making his presence felt on this team, and what a revelation you know, this early in the season when you have you – know, when Billy Napier, Austin Armstrong, Corey Raymond being able to unearth a true freshman here who's made so much impact already in three games and in – a game where you absolutely needed it. When you're playing this offense that can score in bunches, you got a true freshman out there making some plays. Well, I mean, look, I think Florida has really developed their young players over the last couple of years. I mean, you think about Shamar James and ETN were two of the top four recruits in the 2022 class. Keem Jackson was the number two. And I think Castell was like, he was a little bit deeper down in, in the in the depth chart. But again, you're getting two or three freshmen who potentially, I mean, look, Castell is definitely going to be in the running for all SEC freshmen, given the way he's been playing. Um, Jackson is has a couple of PBUs, so he's starting to really step up as well. Obviously, hey, Trey wait, before Wilson. You, and before you go, I'm, I'm glad you brought that. I don't mean to interrupt you there, but Jamar James last year, and I know you brought his name up, but you, since you made the link to Castell Baby being all SEC safety this year, I mean, you're right. That would be two years in a row. Florida be putting all SEC freshmen on the field. If he keeps playing like this, he's going to be. Yeah. Well, and the critical part in that is that when you're an all SEC freshman, that almost always is a stepping stone to eventually being an all SEC player. And it takes about I think Bill Sykes did an article on Read and Reaction that takes like eight or nine All-SEC players at one time to really have a team that has the opportunity to make the playoff. Um, you know, to look, Florida's not there yet, but Shamar James is going to be an SEC line, All-SEC linebacker this year if he stays healthy. I think ETN's probably going to be an All-SEC running back. Wilson may be All-SEC at wide receiver or all-purpose, depending upon what he's able to do in the punt game. And then you've got Jordan Castell, who may be a freshman All-SEC as well. So they are building a foundation with the young guys who are coming in. I mean, if you, if you look at Mullen's recruiting classes, you've got – Jacob Copeland, Richard Garage, Emery Jones, and Justin Watkins were the first four in 2018. Yeah, Chris Steer, Chris Steele, Kyrie Elam, Chris Bogle, Tyron Hopper in 2019. Then Jervon Dexter, Wingo, Xavier Henderson, and Jahari Rogers were the top four in 2020. So just from that standpoint, Florida's already got more production from the two <laughs> from the two recruiting classes that Billy Napier's brought in than Dan Mullen got out of at least the top four guys in any of those. Now, now. To be fair, Kyle Pitts was the fifth guy in 2018, so Mullen got quite a bit of uh, of uh, production out of him. Though Pitts was somebody who'd already recruited to, or had already committed to McElwain before Mullen came in. But my point is that we are getting a lot of contributions from the freshmen, but it's not just that they're on the field, right? Mm-hmm. They're not just taking up space; they are being important cogs. Like if you told me Shamar James got hurt. Like, I think I'd be apoplectic for like a week afterwards. Like, <laughs> he is such an important part of what they're doing. There was a really cool play on, on Saturday where he knew what was coming from Tennessee before Tennessee went in motion. And he went in motion before the wide receiver went in motion. <laughs> and then they threw the ball out to the wide receiver and he, and he didn't make the tackle. But he got perfect leverage on the outside to force him back to the middle to all of his teammates. Shamar James has some instincts, and he's clearly studying film. And that dude is going to be an All SEC linebacker this year. And you know, I think the same path is there for a guy like Jordan Castell. I don't know that he'll necessarily be an All SEC safety this year, but that path exists. And the fact that they're finding these guys and the guys they're bringing in, you know, there's been a lot of talk about recruiting and all that sort of stuff. And I still think they need to recruit better. At least, and I think the 2024 class is going to show that because I think they're going to have some real studs there. But to pick up these guys who are major contributors for when that 2024 class comes in and hits is going to be a big deal for this team and is a big part of why Florida won that game yesterday. I mean, Florida does not win that game without Shamar James and Scooby Williams at linebacker. Florida does not win that game the other day without Jordan Castell at, at, at safety. Florida doesn't win that game without ETN at running back, right? Like, So these freshmen are not just like, oh, they're out on the field and they're taking snaps. 
they're out on the field and being major contributors to what the team is doing. And, and that's a testament to Billy Napier. It's a testament to, to his evaluation. And it's a testament to these guys, like you mentioned, Castell, coming in as a true freshman and taking on leadership expectations and capabilities coming in as a true freshman. You don't see that everywhere, right? A lot of juniors and seniors go, eh, we're not going to listen to that guy. And so kudos to the guys who are older on the roster who have decided they're going to allow the freshmen to come in and contribute, not just from a play perspective, but from a leadership capacity as well. Yeah, CV brings up a good point too. Colin Searcy, you know, they may not be getting the headlines as as a Castell is, but you see those guys, they when they're out there, they're not out there as much, but when they are out there, they're contributing and playing as well. I mean, this defensive line, we, we already said it was deeper coming into the season, Will, and we're three games in, and they've already been able to point to they're even deeper than we thought they were because of Jamari Lyons uh, emerging, getting more playing time. True freshman Collins and Searcy out there now, and McClellan in his second year as well. I mean, we knew they were going to be deeper, but because of freshmen as well, even deeper than what we thought. And, hey, look, now it does – Florida – and something I'll always go back to when freshmen are out there under Billy Napier is it doesn't – and kind of extending your point, it's not like he's forcing these guys out there. They're out there because they can contribute. They've earned it in practice. They've earned these reps. And it's going to let you know that, okay, that these guys are going to go out there and contribute. And then there might be some fall off or whatever, but uh, there's – they're, they're out there for a reason. They're out there because Billy Napier believes they can contribute. Uh, and that can go a long way. And ho- hopefully, you start about recruiting, Will. Hopefully, that helps recruiting even more, too. Uh, hey, I'm going to go to Florida. Billy Napier's going to play me, and I'm going to play good. I'm going to play good as a true freshman. Uh, hopefully, that goes a long way. Yeah, I mean, so so Collins and Searcy and Lions may not be making major plays, but they're not a major downgrade when you put them on the field. And and that's a critical part at defensive line as well, right? Because we saw it last year with Jervon Dexter. He'd be out there in the first half and he'd be playing great. And in the second half, he was up to like 50 plays. And you're just like, oh, poor poor Jervon Dexter having to sit out there for 60 plays in, in the Florida heat, in the swamp. And you could just tell he was gassed by the time the fourth quarter came around. And, you know, these guys rotate in and allow some of these guys up front, guys like Tyreek Sepp, guys like Human Melan, guys like uh, Chris McClellan and, and Desmond Watson to stay to stay healthy and not just stay healthy, but stay fresh all the way throughout the game. That way, when you get in the fourth quarter, all of a sudden you're not gassed, you've got fresh legs, right? And and it's the same five offensive linemen typically against you. So if you're putting in, you know, if you're rotating in eight, nine defensive linemen, all of a sudden you got a fresh guy going against a guy who's tired, you know, especially if you get a guy on the offensive line who's dinged, all of a sudden you're going to be able to win one-on-one battles. And so, you know, I think a big part of setting up those one-on-one wins for guys like Sap and for guys like, Human Milan is having guys who can hold their own like Searcy, like Collins, like Lions when they go out there. So, yeah, very, very pleased with the defensive line, with the front seven overall. You know, if you think about it, when's the last time you you can remember either Scooby Williams or Shamar James getting mauled by a guard? Yeah, like, I good. can't remember them getting mauled <laughs> by a guard. Not even, not even in the Utah game. I don't remember them getting mauled the same way Florida has gotten mauled at linebacker for the past few years. And so those guys up front are doing their job, keeping the offensive linemen off of the linebackers, allowing them to go side to side and make plays. And that's going to bode well for the rest of the season. What did you just say, Will? We had a defensive lineman doing their job. Hey, one got recognized for it this week, Cam Jackson. Co-defensive lineman of the week right here in the SEC as well. That was announced today, anchoring this defensive line, of course. And we were just waiting for that breakout game uh, from him. And it happened at the best time when Florida's back is against the wall. Cam Jackson makes his present felt versus Tennessee. Tennessee coming in, running the ball, one of the best rushing attacks early on in this season. They couldn't get it going. Jackson helped lead a defense up front, holding Tennessee to 100 yards on 30 attempts. Jalen Wright comes into this game averaging 9.3 yards a carry for Tennessee, have 3.9 on the, uh, on the night. Jackson was disruptive, made his presence felt. And as you said, Will, it just kind of goes along. That's one more name we can count on. It's a new face, not a freshman like we've just been talking about, but a new face uh, on, on this Gators defense and uh, going a long way there. And congrats to him for uh, being recognized for co-defensive lineman in the week of the SEC. 
Yeah, the other thing, the other guy we haven't mentioned is Caleb Banks, who probably yeah. caused the most important play of the game. Good point. Right? The the turnover Banks just blew by the guard, absolutely abused him, and then forced Milton. Well, one, he got held, and then forced <laughs> Milton, and then forced Milton. I mean, you know, usually the holding, you're like sort of watching, you're like, oh, that probably should be a flag, but I can understand if they pick it up. Now, the one with Banks, you're just like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> like everybody should have seen that live. And then he forces Milton to step up and then Desmond just killed him but um you know that that interception doesn't happen if Banks doesn't get doesn't have immediate get off the snap doesn't beat the guard doesn't just then plow the guard into Milton while getting held and force that entire play i mean you know the 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 hold or the sack would have been awesome but the fact that that it turned into more than that is uh is is significant right i mean and it's funny how it played out it's funny how it played out because if he gets to the quarterback, Milton probably just takes the sack and doesn't even throw the ball. But yeah. since there was that little bit of delay, he thought he had time to throw. <laughs> and as you said, Watson eats a sandwich right there with him and uh, <laughs> ball, ball gets floated up in the air for a pick. But it's funny how things work out sometimes. Well, easiest interception Devin Moore is ever going to have. But, uh, you know, look, I think all offseason long we talked about where do turnovers come from. And turnovers come from somebody getting pressure straight up the middle. Turnovers don't tend to come, at least not interceptions, don't tend to come from guys off the edge. And it's been a really long time since Florida's had somebody in the middle of the defense who could push that pocket, who could make a quarterback uncomfortable. And Banks was able to do it on that play along with Watson. But you think about um, you think about Jackson; he was also able to do it in some capacity as well. Now, look, there's still there's still time. There's still a path to go. There were times that Milton dropped back and had time and was comfortable. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's it's not like this is an elite defensive line, but it's no longer a liability. And you know, last week I was saying I think. You asked me what what the game against McNeese sort of told us about Graham Mertz, and I said, you know, I don't think he's the solution, but I don't think he's the problem. And I think in some ways that's the same thing I'd say about much of the defensive line is for years the defensive line has been a problem for Florida. And, you know, maybe the last time it wasn't was when they had Grenard and Adam Schuler mm-hmm. and Tadaro Slayton, and that was sort of their 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 defensive line there. Now that now that we're past that point, you know, the, the defensive line has been a problem for the last few years. Like you can't just get countered to death against LSU if your defensive line is doing their job. And the fact that the linebackers are 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 much cleaner than they have been the last couple of years, the fact that they're able to run to the ball and make plays, like Scooby Williams on that fourth down play didn't get touched. Mm-hmm. And the reason he didn't get touched is because the defensive line absolutely collapsed the Tennessee offensive line. And so guys like Cam Jackson and Caleb Banks and and Desmond Watson aren't necessarily going to get the credit the, the, for that particular fourth down play. And Scooby Williams makes a great play hopping over the traffic and getting the guy in the backfield. At the same time, Williams didn't get touched. And the reason you don't get touched there when you're up by the line of scrimmage when you're a linebacker like that is because the defensive line's occupying two guys apiece and and the offensive line just can't get off and can't get to the linebackers. So kudos to the defensive line. I thought when it counted, they did their job. I still think there are times that 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 it's average at best, but average is like leaps and bounds above where the defensive line has been the last couple of years. So significant for the Gators. All right, talking about new faces – and yeah, young guys and new faces. We're going to see it some more this week too. Uh, well, because of a late timeout by Josh Heupel, we get a little scuffle. And the SEC announced today that offensive lineman Damian George, offensive lineman Micah Mazuka, and tight end Dante Zanders of Florida will be suspended for the first half of the game versus Charlotte on Saturday. So, will with those guys. On the sideline for the first half, we will will probably see more one of Arliss Boardingham, who was in the game early uh, versus Tennessee, uh, and Najee Harris, true freshman along the offensive line, uh, and then Lindell Hudson, of course, the transfer there at right tackle. He should be getting some more playing time as well. So young guys in in, in Boardingham, who, you know, is his second year, but his first playing time this year, Harris, a true freshman, Hudson, a transfer, um, some new faces, good to go. Look, this is probably a good thing anyway, because <laughs> young guys are going to get some get to get some reps here. Uh, or oh, and inexperienced guys with Hudson, and of course, he needs the reps now to kind of catch back up from missing some time in, in the fall and, and the concussion that he was dealing with. But uh, yeah, there we go. So we'll see some new faces there for Charlotte. 
So did the SEC suspend Hypel for being the instigator? <laughs> well, they should have. So I'm sure they have a couple of guys who are on the shelf for the first half this next yeah, year. Yeah, one, uh, one guy. One, one guy for Tennessee was... The suspended. guy who got punched in the face by Mazuka? Uh Probably so. Um, <laughs> I forget his name, but... Haddon, yes. I think, might have been his name, but... Uh, uh, it was not Haddon. I do know no. that. All right. Well, so it was a Go good ahead. time. I'll find, I'll find it while you pull in here. It, it was a good time for Florida to have a fight, I suppose, um, given that uh, given who the opponent is this week. I'm actually a little bit surprised. It was only a half game for some of those guys. I figured yeah. Mazuka was a definitive full game. <laughs> like yep. when you get into a full boxing stance, take a couple of <laughs> shuffles and, and throw a punch. Uh, usually, that's kind of when they they say, "All right, that's enough." Um, I guess they figure it's it's the you know it's less important than targeting because you know. That, that's what I, I just kind of expected them to put targeting penalties in there. So good, good, right? We'll get a we'll get a bunch of guys experience in the first half, some experience for when somebody goes down. That'll be good. Obviously, I think we'll see. Um, you know, we'll probably see Nigel Harris. We'll probably see mm-hmm. some of Lindell Hudson. There there will be some opportunities for some guys to maybe maybe come in and actually show what they can do with some of the starters. So that'll be good. But uh, um, you know, I. It's, Omar, it's, such, it's Omar Norman Lott was the uh, uh, defensive lineman there for Tennessee. Well, good news is we burned him a couple of times because I remember yes. writing that down. Yep. I remember writing that down in in the uh, in the ETN section of my article that he got bur- burned on one of them. That it, it was on a jump cut where ETN sped up and and Norman Lott just couldn't catch him. But uh, you know, I, I this whole thing annoys me because Heupel calls that timeout at the end. Then his team comes in and hits Mertz late. And look, I get it. You can't box, but. Heupel is the reason that that happened. Time, like, not the first time Mazuka lined up in that, by the way. You can just tell. You can just tell. <laughs> yeah, I suspect that he's been in a fight or two in his life. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. I just I look at it and I go, out of everything, like yeah. and he apologized to Napier after the game when he, when they're going the handshake and then gave sort of a squirrely answer when they asked him in the postgame conference. Like, if nothing else, it sort of livened up the rivalry a little bit. I remember when Missouri and uh, and Drinkwitz yeah. and Mullen got into a little bit. Um, obviously, that livened things up a little bit as well. But um, the most enjoyable part of this entire weekend is well, Clay now Travis. I'm mad, now I'm mad Graham Mertz didn't dress up as Darth Vader. <laughs> I was going to say, the most enjoyable thing is it, it, whether you love him or hate him, go over and check out Clay Travis on Twitter and his timeline during the game because he's a Tennessee fan. Oh, oh yes. was it was it awesome? Okay. It was just awesome. He's sitting there like, well, we're two for 17 against Florida <laughs> the last 19. I am uh, <laughs> I, just, I am going to pull that up because I do not follow him. But Oh, uh, that is definitely worth the, uh, the okay, exploration because that was awesome. Best it part is. of the night was going over there as he melted down because you can see on his timeline when Tennessee went down and scored the touchdown. And he was so confident that Tennessee was finally going to come into the swamp and win. And then as, as it went, he's just like getting more and more despondent. Um, it probably looks a lot like when I live tweeted the Utah game, but uh, it was awesome. <laughs> uh, of course, he worked for OutKick, of course. But one thing, uh, and I saw the chat talking about it. Um, there was one Tennessee fan who was a streaker uh, who ran on the field during the game. Um, with a, you know, he was... He wanted to lift this Tennessee fan spirit, and I know he was asking for somebody to bail him out uh, yesterday. <laughs> I know that was floating around on Twitter a little bit, but an effective uh, Facebook post. <laughs> How do you have his phone? But okay, um, uh, but okay, I got to pull it up. Yeah, so I'll be I'll be going looking at that. So yeah, good stuff. Big win over Tennessee. Hopefully, Gators build some momentum uh, coming up. We won't really know. Uh, like I said, we can tell a little bit by the performance versus Charlotte, but we're going to get our answer in a couple of weeks from Florida. Hopefully, plays better on the road uh, with a noon game that was announced today. No, I cannot tell you. I need to go back and look it up. The last time Florida played at Kentucky, and it wasn't a night game. They love putting that game at night in Kentucky, uh, but it will be a noon game. And most of the time, noon games on the road kind of scare you a little bit because Florida traditionally has not played well. But lately, we haven't played well at night in Kentucky either. So <laughs> maybe maybe this being a noon game uh, get, kind of just gets it where it helps Florida a little bit more. And that Kentucky crowd won't be there all day and, and getting ramped up for that game. But uh, before we go, I haven't really had a chance to catch back up with it. But, hey, we're talking about momentum. Will, well, the Gators – getting 2025 off that recruiting class and some momentum there on the recruiting trail for a 2025 running back. Waltez Clark at a plant high school in Tampa. And let me pull it up there. 
and committed to Gators on Saturday night. He chose Florida over the likes of Florida State, Ohio State, Notre Dame, USC, some more schools out there as well. If you go to the 24-7 sports composite, he's a four-star. He's 128th overall, the 11th-ranked running back. The on three has him as the 151st overall, 12th-ranked running back. A four-star right there on both services. Uh, pretty good package of size and speed, 6'2", 198. Uh, as a sophomore, he carried the ball 87 times for 863 yards, 9.9 yards per carry. So basically a touch, uh, basically a first down every time he touches the ball uh, when he carries it, 18 touchdowns in that regard, as well as catching 27 passes for 512 yards, four more touchdowns. So far this season in four games, Clark has 13 carries, 64 yards, 4.9 yard average, two touchdowns, eight catches, 110 yards, 13.8 average there, two more touchdowns you add to it. Nine total tackles on defense, according to Max Preps this year as well. Will, he plays all over the field. He'll play receiver. He'll play running back on defense. He'll play edge. He'll play linebacker. He'll play in the backfield as well. Uh, they use him there at Tampa Plant there for Waltez Clark, and he is the, the listed as a running back that they, where they see him at, at the next level. Gators get their first 2025 commitment. Yeah, man. I mean, if you were a running back and you watched that game, <laughs> like, would you have any doubts that that's where you want to go? Like, I, I just—it's interesting because you look at uh, you look at Clark. He's pretty much rated around about where Etn was. Um, you think about Montreal Johnson coming over from Louisiana. I would say these guys pretty good at evaluating running backs. So um, I think we should be really, really excited. Obviously, um, the 24-7 ratings right around 94 and a half. So getting that 2025 class off to a really good start. And I think one of the things that's probably going to be overlooked or at least not thought of just because we're talking about momentum is it's not just about momentum winning this season and, and mm. you know, not going three and nine like some of the people picked Florida to do this year. But part of it is building momentum on the recruiting trail. And one of the reasons why that second recruiting class is so critical is you haven't shown anything on the field yet, right? That you're no one's able to negatively recruit against you. Well, that changes. Now people can negatively recruit against you. And I'm sure there were some people who were sort of pointing at that Utah game going, look at that. It was it was rough. And, you know, there were some things, especially with people like us with criticism, right? Obviously, you know, do you want to put yourself in, in that sort of grind? But then you see the flip side of that, which is that everyone at Florida is so passionate about the program and we saw it in the swamp any player who was in there had an awesome time while they were in there and the swamp was a madhouse and again i look at clark and i say to see how etn was used to see how montreal johnson was used to even see trail webb was in there for a couple of carries the fact that freshmen play early the fact that he's from tampa and so you know obviously keeping guys close to home family can come and watch all that sort of stuff this is the kind of kid that florida has allowed to leak out of the state for the past decade Right. And so to secure him for 2025 real early on here, still in 2023, a big, big get for Florida. And certainly I think makes a lot of sense for Clark, given what he saw on the field. Six two one ninety eight, ma'am. I'm eager to see that. You're that looking like here. looking like C4, man. <laughs> there you go. Uh, that's where what about that's where my mind was going to that just big body style running back. So yeah, yeah. Hopefully, you know, that's way down the road. Hopefully keep him in the fold there. Uh, but man. Six two one ninety eight. That's uh, I, I, I'm ready to see something like that. So hopefully, hopefully Jabbar Jaluk got his uh, got his guy right there because that's and it's kind of you mentioned seeing ETN there uh, on Saturday nights and you know, I know Herb Street was mentioning it over and over again saying this how look how slippery he is and how low to the ground he is. That's why he's so hard. You know, to, to basically basically you know paraphrasing there why he's so hard to get a hold of and why he's hard to bring down to the ground. Pretty opposite here at 62198 there for, 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 for Jeffrey Etienne. Well, the other thing I would say is the reason Etienne's difficult to bring to the ground isn't isn't because he's low to the ground. It's because he goes from zero to 60 really fast. And he, you know, the last time we saw that was a guy like Kadarius Tony. And Tony was violent in terms of the way he went from zero to 60. You know, he'd stick his knee in the ground. You're like, oh my God, is he going to snap that thing as he like as he as he pivoted? Etienne doesn't do that. He has more traditional sort of moves for a running back. But what he does is he waits, he waits, he waits. And then when he decides to mm -hmm. go full speed, it's full speed right away. And usually it takes 
normal players a step or two to get to full speed and they get caught, right? They get tripped up by a linebacker. They get tripped up by a defensive lineman who's, who's, uh, who's chasing them or something like that. Watch next time ETN ha- is getting the ball. If people aren't breaking through the line of scrimmage, tell me how many times he gets caught from the backside. Like he very rarely gets caught from the backside because by the time that backside defensive end is coming around to try to stop the run, he's already in the hole because he's he's already at top speed. He's already put his foot in the ground and gone. I think that's something that's really underrated. His top speed may not necessarily be the same top speed as, you know, CJ Spiller or somebody like or Dalvin Cook or somebody like that. And that's still to be seen. I mean, he outrun he outran Tennessee's DBs the other night after he got behind him. But the thing that I think really separates him, you can see it on the ju- jump cut. Um, you know, I have it. I think it was the last play in the in the breakdown that I have on ETN in my article. You can see it in the jump cut. He's got a guy from the defensive end position who's about to catch him right as he does the jump cut, and he puts his foot in the ground and goes and just completely separates from the defensive end the minute he decides to go. To me, that's the thing that separates ETN. And again, that'll be the question for Clark is, does he have that same skill? I'm guessing it's going to be a different skill set because mm-hmm. ETN, for two reasons. One is he's built differently, and the other reason is is that ETN's special. Right? I think that's something we need to acknowledge is that that 0 to 60 isn't something where you're just like, oh, 17 backs in the nation can do that. It's like, nah, there's only a couple of people who have that ability, and thankfully Florida has when I'm on the roster. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. 2025 class underway. We'll see what the big game atmosphere Saturday night does to hopefully finish off this 2024 class as well. Some good, good reports coming out of there, but of course, uh, any, any, uh, any happenings for that class will be here to cover it on Gators breakdown, but a lot of big visitors in the swamp, uh, to see the beating, of a rival once again in the swamp. Tennessee just, I should have known better anyway to pick Tennessee in the swamp. I mean, that was just, uh, as a, the theme of yesterday's podcast was Dummy Dave. And I'll, I'll say it one more time Dummy Dave picking, picking Tennessee to win in the swamp. I know, I know better. Just picking Tennessee at all, two and 17 <laughs> in the last 19 games. I know. I know. Like, what are we doing, man? What are we, we doing? We like, even it. if you're, even if, like, just think about it, even if you're wrong, you could look back at two and 17. Exactly. <laughs> just be like, I was picking the odds. It's uh, overthought that one. Overthought I'd rather one. be wrong. Yes. Right? I, I'd yep. rather be wrong, pick them to lose and have them win than vice versa. Right. So, uh, you know. Again, I think the team proved some stuff on Saturday, not just to us, but to themselves. I think that's a really cool thing um, and a cool experience. And I think Napier talked about it, that oftentimes you sort of need that kick in the teeth in order to understand what's necessary. But I think the thing that he maybe didn't say is that in order to enjoy the climb, right, that that you have to have some of those experiences and some of those down experiences. That's what brings people together. You even saw that in Swamp Kings, right? That 2007 season was necessary for 2008. The 2005 season was necessary for 2006. And so I think what we're seeing are sort of those growing pains. Um, you know, I don't know whether this team's going to get to a championship level, but the growing pains that are necessary to be a very, very good football team start with getting kicked in the teeth and everybody buying in. Um, and so this Tennessee game, I think, is at least an indication that things are heading in the right direction. We'll see whether that can continue because I think we thought the same thing after the AM win and the South Carolina win last year, and then all of a sudden they were getting kicked in the teeth again at the end of the year, and that'll be the trick, right? I mean, if, if, if they win the game against Charlotte and then go out and get demolished by Kentucky, we're going to have a very different feel. If they're rolling 6-1 and one into the cocktail party, well, all of a sudden now, you know, um, not only is that Utah game the turning point, but I think it's also um, – in, in de- indication that um, you know the team sort of needed that to rally around and really become who who they were going to become. Bounce them back, Will. Bounce back versus Utah, and even in the Tennessee game, bounce back. We got to remember that Florida was down seven nothing, and Tennessee, boom, 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 down the field, able to bounce back, get the big ETN run, and it was just off to the races for the rest of the first half for the Gators to build up a big lead to carry him to the victory. So, yeah, um, teams l- learning some things. Hopefully this is another learning experience into building some momentum and carrying this, as Will said, down the season. Hopefully set up a big cocktail party right there in late October. So, all right, Will, anything else, man? No, nah, just this week, you know, obviously Charlotte. So we'll, I've been waiting to put out my recruiting, uh, mid-season recruiting wrap up. So that's what'll be coming out this week on Read and Reaction. There'll be a prediction for Charlotte at the end, but uh mainly talking recruiting. Let's keep the momentum going, man. We got the win against Tennessee. Recruiting news is good. Let's talk about it and then uh you know get that win next Saturday and get ready for Kentucky. 
Absolutely. Uh, one note, I don't know if people know if they've looked at Charlotte yet, but one former Gator quarterback, Jalen Jones, will be the starting quarterback for Charlotte. Had him on Gators breakdown not long after he committed there so uh, to, to Florida, but there we go. Um, one little angle to look at for this game since there's not really that many storylines <laughs> for, for, for this one, uh, but a former Gator is the quarterback for Charlotte. So, all right, for Will Miles, you can find him at Will Miles SEC, a site read and reaction. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on social media at GatorDave underscore SEC, at Gators Breakdown. Guys and girls out there, thank you for joining us on this episode of Gators Breakdown. Gators Breakdown.